and welcome to Still Any Good, the podcast where we run the risk of ruining our childhoods by revisiting fondly remembered films. My name's Christopher Webb, and with me is someone who goes like a strangled fart with a brisk northerly up his freckle. It's Robert Johnson. <laughs> Nothing like a bracing northerly up your freckle, though, to get the day off to a good start. I think so, too. I, yeah. I, I like a little breeze around the doldrums myself. It's nice. <laughs> Welcome back to my garage. You sort of lured me into a false sense of security our last recording. We were actually allowed in the big house. I know. As, as I call it. And yeah. um, back in the studio. We're back in the heart of still any good. We are. Yeah. yeah. No biscuits tonight though, sorry. I, I was in a bit of a rush. That's alright, that's alright. I had a big tea. Excellent. Chris, you know, we're actually not alone this evening. Really? Is there somebody a... hiding behind the barbecue? No, I checked when I came in because it looked like a good hiding spot. But no, there's no one in the garage. But are we being listened in on? We are being joined remotely. Ah. Yes, we've got a very special guest, author Jamie Walls joining us tonight. Hi, Jamie. Good evening. Good evening. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, no, thank you for coming on. It's great to have you here. Awesome. Yeah, big fan of the pod and just uh, being asked to come on. It's just, it was a real bucket list item for me and um, just really <laughs> glad I could fulfill it, you know? Well, it's great to have you on. I can understand what's on the bucket list. Was parachuting taken? <laughs> <laughs> You've swum with sharks. He's a, that, yeah, yeah, he's a man of action, Chris. You can see he's probably well, already done all that sort of well, stuff. Well, yeah, I'd say he is a man of action, most definitely. <laughs> yeah. All that's left is appearing on a lame podcast of <laughs> out of shape middle-aged men. <laughs> As is our tradition, we uh, always have our guests to choose a movie. What have you got for us tonight? I've made a choice of a New Zealand movie from the 1980s. The reason I've chosen this one is because I personally have a couple of very tenuous connections to it. And also, I really did want to see if it was still any good. And so I have chosen the 1988 feature Never Say Die. Never Say Die. Someone wants them dead. Badly. They don't know who. They don't know why. We could come close to nailing you. Now piss off. And nothing is as it seems. It's my house. Why are you burning down with the insurance? Never did like that plane. The cops are after it. The cops, but he is the cops. We're going to take these bastards on. I'll come to you. Wow, never say die. Mm. You've got some history and some links to this. I'd like to hear this. Yeah, like I said, very tenuous. Part of it was shot uh, in my neighbourhood. And I have some very vague memories of it being shot around Mount Victoria in Wellington, where I grew up. Yeah, I recognise uh, I was very fortunate to grow up in the area where it did. Um, it's a very nice part of town, right near the Embassy Theatre which mm-hmm. yeah. if you've been to Wellington or you grew up in Wellington, you'd probably be pretty familiar with. Sort of Roxborough Street area? Marjorie Banks, Roxborough Street. Marjorie Banks, Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah you did right, because part of the car chase does go down Roxborough Street. I'm really looking forward to explaining this, that whole bit. <laughs> and also, my dad did a bit of work with Jeff Murphy back oh, in the cool. day. He actually took the photo for the movie poster for Utu. Um, that fa- oh wow! Yeah, that famous really? uh, picture of Anzac Wallace. Uh, your dad, oh, dad mate, took that one. That is an iconic. We mate. had a big frame picture of that in the house. I was a big fan of Jeff Murphy growing up. I was really proud to have a Kiwi in Hollywood making action movies. 
when I was a yeah. kid. Um, Young Guns 2 was like one of my favorite movies. And so, so yeah, and my mum uh, was a producer uh, making ads for TV. So yeah, she had a bit of a connection um, to that as well. She sort of peripherally did a bit of work in the film industry. So like I said, very tenuous, but that's why I thought of this one because it's uh, sort of close to home. And it's been a while since you guys have done a New Zealand film. And so I thought, yeah. This one here. And do you have fond memories of the film itself? Like, the, when did you see it? I would have seen it on TV. Got a bit of play on New Zealand TV back in the day, so it would have been a couple of years after it would have come out in the cinemas. I really liked the fact that I could see my house in it. <laughs> <laughs> it sort of ripped along and it was kind of fun. And so at the time, I thought, yeah, it was a pretty cool movie. I will have to say one thing. It was incredibly confusing for me back then because it came out around about the same time as live and let die and then there was the other james bond never say never again and so i i thought it was a james bond film that was shot in new zealand so i don't know whether that thought of that whether it's like oh if we just conflate these two bond movies then we can probably sell a few more tickets but it certainly worked on me (laughs) they could have called it the spy who fingered me couldn't they They could have. They could have. <laughs> <laughs> this came out when I was seven, but I distinctly remember this being advertised on TV, I think, when it came out. I just remember that Bunny Walters Never Say Die track <laughs> oh, yes. playing. I can and, understand um, that, yeah. Yeah. I was vaguely aware of Timura Morrison at the time. My sister was in Telethon 1988. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I can't remember if I mentioned this in our Once for Warriors episode or not. That was four years ago. <laughs> Hardly anyone's ever listened to that one. Don't worry about that. But anyway, she was reading out pledges as a prefect for Gisborne Girls High yeah. in Telethon Adia on TV. One of the pledges was Contemporary Morrison Whistle. I can't remember what the tune was. And he was in Gisborne at the time. So he leaned over my sister's shoulder into the mic, whistled this tune. My sister is blushing and giggling and just really uncomfortable and sort of like starstruck at the same time. And we had this on video for years and years and years. I think that was when I first developed my affinity for Tim's work. And I saw this much like Jamie, probably saw it at the same time as he did when it came out on TV a couple mm-hmm. of years later. I remember being astounded that amazing Hollywood celebrities like Norm from Cheers <laughs> were in this. <laughs> and that there another American woman who I didn't know. I didn't realise she was in Beverly Hills Cop, mm. Lisa Albarker. And some American woman was starring in this Kiwi film. Like, this is how low our ambitions were like from, at the time. Yeah. This was a t- at a time in New Zealand when any American who lived here could be a celebrity and was given their own TV yeah. show. And that's how we ended up with John Dibvig, if you remember him. <laughs> John Dibvig, yeah. 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 And, he uh, great. <laughs> had, a, had a great mo. <laughs> Yeah, it just it felt like it was a proper action film and had a bit of glamour and I remember enjoying it too and thinking it was really entertaining. And, and one thing I do want to mention is, as Jamie pointed out, we haven't done a Kiwi film for a while. Normally we try and do one around Waitangi Day, which was earlier in the month, and, and we missed that out, so it's, it's great that we can do this now. You know, it's been four years since our Once Were Warriors episode, which is still, I think, our most popular, it our is. most downloaded episode. It is. Every <laughs> the, year. The quality is the obviously like, yeah. declined in the last few years. <laughs> We're in a bit of a, a renaissance for Timura Morrison at the moment. Uh, Timura renaissance? Yeah, yeah. a Timura renaissance, if yeah. you will. He obviously burst onto the scene once we were as internationally. Did some Hollywood films of, of kind of varying quality. There was Barbed Wire, of course, Pam Anderson, Speed 2, Cruise Control. 
and recently he's been, you know, he was Chief Tui, Moana's dad in Moana. He was Jason Momoa's dad in Aquaman. And of he's, course, he's been in The Mandalorian and, and The Book the, of Boba Fett. And The Door of the Explorer movie. Was he in The Door of the Explorer yeah. movie? So, I, I don't know, Jamie, do you watch um, Mandalorian and Book of Boba Fett? Are you a Star Wars fan? Oh, I mean, my Star Wars days are in, in the past, but I did catch a couple of episodes of The Mandalorian and I thought it was pretty yeah. cool. And again, much like how you said before about how amazing it was that there was Americans in an action movie in New Zealand, <laughs> I was actually really taken aback when the Star Wars prequels came out and then it turns out yeah. that all the stormtroopers are clones of Timur Morrison and therefore are clones of Jake the Muss. <laughs> that was a very <laughs> patriotic moment for me. I was really I was up that. in the cinema with my hand over my chest. I was like, "This is we've made it as a country. We've made it as a country thanks to Tim. Just hearing that urban accent in a Star Wars film as well like not just from Tim but from, yeah, from the actor the... who played his son yeah. Daniel Logan he's like dad always <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. here <laughs> it's just like did George Lucas realise <laughs> it's exotic it's exotic yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, to be fair to George Lucas, it's probably the one time he didn't kind of racially stereotype something. <laughs> he did quite well. True. So, Chris, I mean, I'd ask you what your relationship is to this movie, but I suspect you don't have one. Well, it may shock you. I've never seen it before. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it made the glorious shores of Milford Haven. Yeah. I've certainly never heard of it. I had heard of it when I came here because there's a guy at work who very much likes his New Zealand films. Okay. And so he would say, oh, you've got to see this, you've got to see that. And this is one of the ones that he mentioned about how it's crazy and it's fun and all this sort of stuff. So I was aware of it. But I have been in a telethon, if that helps. Oh, wow. Very much like your sister. I was in the ITV telethon. Because oh, I used to, yeah ITV because uh, I used to work at a leisure park and they featured it there from Wales and so I stood next to Ruth Maddock, oh, wow. Gladys from Mighty High. Oh, how cool! Yeah, I know. That? Yeah. So no, I hadn't seen it. I'd heard of it. It looked kind of fun from the poster. Yeah. The trailer looked great fun. So yeah, give it a go. But Jeff Murphy wrote and directed this. Obviously, he'd made his name with Goodbye Pork Pie in 1981. Mm-hmm which was like the first Kiwi film to really draw significant audiences to the movies in New Zealand. Of course, he had directed Utu in 1983, and then post-apocalyptic sci-fi film The Quiet Earth in 1985. So he'd done three very well-regarded, successful New Zealand films, and then this film. Yes. <laughs> yeah, a bit of a change of pace. <laughs> and it was his last movie before... Kind of moving on over to Hollywood, where yeah. he, so yeah. this was his calling card for Hollywood, was it? Okay. Hollywood saw this and went, yeah. "Wow, we want him for sequels to action movies." Well, they might have seen this, or they might have, despite this, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they might have seen it too, yeah, a couple of times. <laughs> and it's sort of action scenes and everything. It's very much like a, "Hey, look, I could do a Bond film, or I could mm. do a Die Hard sequel, or perhaps even an Under Siege sequel." <laughs> Or that other one with Emilio Estevez. Yeah, the, he did, I didn't realize he did Free, Free Jack. Yeah, with Mick Jagger. Oh, I'm yeah, glad you brought movie. up Free Jack. That's a movie I remember going and seeing at the movies. And uh, that would have to be Mick Jagger's most substantial movie role, do you think? Of the Ned Kelly or yeah. performance or something. Ned Kelly's probably his biggest one. I, I remember thinking to myself, like, that's the first movie that I actually went and watched where I came out. I just said, that was actual shit. Like, that was... <laughs> <laughs> quite liked it <laughs> I, I just remember thinking like Mick Jagger's a really bad actor like, I was like I would have been like what 10 or 11 years old and I remember thinking he was terribly miscast yeah 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 <laughs> was yeah. he like the bounty hunter or something in it yeah. Yeah. So, yeah yeah and of course the Young Guns 2 with what a, a banger of a theme song yeah 
than Blaze of Glory. That's my big takeaway from Young Guns. Oh, that and the absolute high watermark of Lou Diamond Phillips' career <laughs> as well. Hey, I don't know. I've got a toddler and um, Lou Diamond Phillips turns up on a Wiggles music video. <laughs> he does. He does. You're right. Rock and roll preschool and he does a great job. <laughs> well, that's the Bamba obviously gave him very good training. <laughs> Yeah, he hopped on a plane right after it. <laughs> so, yeah, never say die. Hmm. Wow. No, the other thing I noticed about this is it wasn't just written by Jeff Murphy. No. It was also written by Andy Borowitz, who created The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Yeah. And that's not a connection you'd put together either. No. He wrote a load of American sitcoms, but he actually created one of the biggest of all time. Oh, that's um, a, it wasn't created by a black guy. No. Yeah. That explains Carlton. <laughs> <laughs> So, this film kicks off with some quite jinkly little music. Yeah, I, I mean, I've written Bullet Riddle Title Fades into Plane Landing yeah. Yeah. with a soundtrack that wouldn't have been out of place in a 1979 Cadbury's Flake advert. No, it wouldn't have. That's a really... That's about right, yeah. yeah. This film has, like, very little online footprint. It is really hard to find any reviews... Yeah. Any articles, anything about this film. <laughs> like, IMDb, Wikipedia has the most scantest of information. Yeah. It was never released on DVD or digitally. Only on VHS, and it's now out of print. So, we had no other choice but to watch this on YouTube. <laughs> we got forced <laughs> to watch it on YouTube. <laughs> Thanks, Jamie. Sorry, boys. <laughs> and, yeah, I wonder if that's telling us something. What I am taking solace in is that we are probably the first and only podcast in the world to review Never Say Die. You might be right. Well, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> we are that niche. <laughs> but um, there's a really interesting voiceover by Tim's character, Alf Winters, mm. at the, um, the start of the film, which possibly summarises Jeff Murphy's worldview at the time. Yeah, mm. It's almost like a critical view of New Zealand. Yeah. Where he says, After a while, I'm drawn to the inescapable conclusion that this country is run by half-wits, bigots, racists, dipshits, and lame brains. Mm. It was very much, I thought he was calling into talkback. He <laughs> 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 did this little voiceover. It's quite, an, quite a character introduction. Hmm. I think that that whole voiceover of the bit was, yeah, I think Jeff Murphy just um, kind of stating uh, his thoughts on New Zealand at the time because... Yeah. I think probably get into it a little bit later on, but there's definitely some themes in there around, you know, the way the 1980s were in New Zealand. Um, there's obviously yeah. a massive, like, ACAB yeah. sentiment <laughs> yeah. throughout the whole yeah. thing. And I guess that's probably from Murphy's relationship with uh, his wife, Marata Mita, who mm-hmm. directed Patu, which was one of the most important, if not the most important documentary ever made in New Zealand about the 1981 Springbok tour. Yeah. I think he was definitely still hung up about that, and you can sort of see that coming out later in the movie. But interestingly enough, though, there's that voiceover, and then you think, oh, okay, so there's going to be narration, and then that's it. <laughs> it was just, that's all it is. They, need, yeah. they just needed a reason, they yeah. needed a reason for him like to a... arrive at the airport. And um, yeah. yeah. The weird thing was it has this really unnecessary bit where he says, oh, yeah, I went to London. And then two weeks later, I came home. I was like, well, why'd you need to say that? Why didn't you say I've been in London for a while and I decided to come home? Well, why'd you have to specify it was like two weeks or whatever? (laughs) (laughs) That made no sense. Now, there's a real economy in the the storytelling that sometimes it's actually too economical for me. Yeah. 
<laughs> That's what's going on. It, I mean, it is, but then so much over-explanation mm. about electrical appliances yeah. and how gas boilers work. Yeah. It's almost like you're watching some kind of documentary about a gas fitter or something. <laughs> Real proper demonstrations about how these things work. Yeah. But then when it comes to plot, not so strong. No. <laughs> yeah. Because, of course, Jeff Murphy was also involved in Blurter. Yes. Sort of, you know, famous counterculture, hippie sort of multimedia venture. Yeah, I think the phrase, you know, never trust a cop. And there's a whole lot of Keystone Cops kind of yeah. action yeah. throughout it. None of the police, bar one, get, comes out of this looking good. No. But we'll get to that, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So Alf is um, disembarking off his flight and meets with his girlfriend, Melissa, played by Lisa Albarker. Was she in Spider-Man when we reviewed that? Oh, was she? I think she was when we did the Spider-Man TV series. The TV series? Yeah. Oh, she could have been. Yeah, yeah. So we've, we've already covered. No, you, you did. I remember you guys t talking about it. Oh, thank it. you, oh, James. Well, thanks, yep. James. <laughs> Glad you're here. <laughs> Sagapedia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Beverly Hills Cop, which is probably her most famous role. And then she kind of just... She was quite a busy child actor. Yeah. You name a TV series in America from like the 60s and 70s. She yes. was in it, you know, like Wagon Train and... Little House Warhead, on the Prairie. Little House on the Prairie, The yep. Waltons. She was in all of those. Uh, okay, so cool. She, she was very, very busy. Yeah. Uh, and then when she grew up, not so busy. Yeah. Well, she did 10 to Midnight, that appalling Charles Bronson film. Uh, I know that's not really... I don't want to narrow that down a little bit, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah, you have to be a bit more specific. The one where he plays a cop who plays by his own rules. That one. <laughs> According to IMDb, uh, she either retired or, or died in 1995. Ooh. Okay. So, well, Lisa, yeah. if you're out there, we, yeah. <laughs> yeah. we hope you're still out Get there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Tweet us. <laughs> Please. <laughs> Lisa, well, Melissa's just been at her father's funeral. In Los Angeles, mm. yeah. Where she meets Norm from Cheers. Mm -hmm. George Wendt. <laughs> Obviously on holiday from Boston. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Playing Mr. Witten, her, father's, her late father's lawyer. Yeah. She kind of clunkily mentions that her father ran a small company that did research into superconductors. Superconductors, absolutely, yeah. Then, strangely, she falls asleep on the lawyer's couch. <laughs> she does. <laughs> and, and is woken up by some German businessman. Yeah, talking and laughing, absolutely, yeah. Now, I mean... <laughs> no. You kind of realise straight away that this is going to be a major part of the plot, right? You wouldn't mention any I, of this I weird had shit. Hooked up on that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like Chekhov's couch Chekhov's Germans. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's odd. Mm. Arrogant bastards. <laughs> Tim says. Funny story. So when I, in the time that I watched this when I was a kid, and then it drifted in and out of my mind, I'd actually remembered it as being Cliff from Cheers, not North. <laughs> <laughs> John Ratzenberger and um, I think it's because and Robert you'd remember this remember Cliff was in those New Zealand Post ads in the early 90s oh yes of course oh, he wow. was yeah my memory just conflated the two of them yeah. and then so when I saw this norm I was oh fuck <laughs> what was I thinking Barfly's wrong yeah Brilliant. So they were both big in New Zealand. That's amazing. Yeah. 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 Cheers was a very popular show. Certainly yeah. was. Chris, Certainly yeah. was. We get that nice bit of flashback. And then as they're driving home. In their incredibly the, shit car. In their incredibly <laughs> yeah. shit car. Yeah. We, we get the first sight of probably the only thing in this film that you could class as any sort of subtlety, which is those <laughs> billboards that say, oh, oh, what's going down. They mm. occur quite a lot. They appear quite a lot throughout the film. Yeah. Almost subliminally. And, of course, that becomes apparent later. But that's the first sighting we see of one of those. Mm -hmm. And then um, 
they pull up at their house and it blows up. It does. And we're three minutes 30 into the movie. <laughs> and our house has exploded. <laughs> We've had a whole lot of backstory about Germans and a funeral and a superconducting researching father. And a house blows up. Yeah. That's whipping along. It's brevity, isn't it? Yeah. 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 And it's a massive explosion. Yeah, it's yeah. not a bad explosion, no. That's a really good explosion. Yeah. yeah. Really good. And the aftermath is just a small hole in the roof. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And the car's parked right outside, and there's no damage <laughs> whatsoever to the car. <laughs> but no, I was quite impressed with that. It was good. I yeah. saw that explosion. I thought, oh, there's going to be some good action. This yeah. is going to be a good movie after seeing that explosion. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's just around the corner from my house now, actually. Oh, wow. In, 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 in Grey Lynn. So, yeah, I'm, I think I know where it is. But uh, obviously, the landscape's changed quite a bit around here, but the background I can see. So, yeah, it's all coming full circle for me. Does it have um, a blue plaque on it or anything? <laughs> oh, no, no, I think I think it's a. Did they fix pop. the hole? <laughs> well, like everything in Greyland, they painted it white and put a big picket fence, and now it's worth six million dollars. Yeah, mm. of course, sounds right. Yeah, and then straight away um, we're introduced to legendary Kiwi actor Tony Barry's character, um, Detective Evans. I recognise his face. But I can't actually place anything he's been in. And I think that's because he's been in absolutely everything. Yeah, yeah. He's such a prolific character actor who's worked yeah. in New Zealand and Australia. And of course, he was in Goodbye Pork Pie. Mm. He was one of the three main roles in that. He's just a great actor who could probably read the phone book and, and sort of sell it. Fortunately. Yeah, there's only so much he can do. Yeah. But he's, not, he's not a miracle worker. But <laughs> An antagonism between Alf and um, Evans. Immediately. Yeah, because Evans just turns up and gloats. Mm. I think because Alf ran a story on him suggesting that he was corrupt. Yeah. You know Evans is an asshole because he's like eating a kebab and like who what sort of what sort of cop does that at the at the scene of like an explosion yeah. that he he's just cas- cop, casually yeah. just eating his kebab. I'm surprised he didn't just throw it at his feet and just drive and then he just drives off. <laughs> like he's in yeah. oh here's your burnt house, see you later. Yeah. Yeah. My work here is done. So they've got nowhere to live, so they, they check into a motel, and we know it's a motel, because Melissa walks in and says, it's a motel. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> in case there was any doubt. Yeah. Um, and this is the first of a lot of hotels and motels they check into. It's hard to keep up, eh? Because there's, there's a stage later on where they go to a hotel, and it, I don't think it's one that they've stayed in before. Yeah. But then he says he sellotaped his hair to it and go, oh, someone's broken in. But we've never seen that hotel room before. Yeah. They've just moved in. There's some real loose editing going on in this film. I've written a note here that um, someone says shit in the car, but his mouth doesn't move. <laughs> and, then, and then another driver in a truck says, get out of the way, and his mouth hardly moves. Brilliant. Yeah. So. There's a little dummy on there. <laughs> yeah, a lot of ventriloquists in Greyland at the time. It's the centre of ventriloquism, <laughs> So they go back to the house, and that's where we get a bit of blather about what time the power company turned things on yeah. and gas boilers and it's yeah. very educational. Yeah, yeah. Gas explosion. We get a few of these, says, says the fireman. It's <laughs> concerning, but okay. Yeah, he's not doing anything about it. Yeah, we just get a few, yeah. Yeah. They conclude that it was a setup and it was the gas was leaked deliberately to blow up when they arrived back home. But of course he was held up in customs. Yeah. So luckily they were just sat in the car metres from the explosion instead. Mm. Because it's never really made too clear, is it? But he's an investigative journalist. Yes. Obviously, he's written this story about Detective Evans saying he's corrupt, mm. which seems like a very legally dubious thing to do as a journalist. But anyway. Um, I, I thought the whole premise of him being a journalist was just because he had a, had that gumshoe hat. 
Yeah. He bought the hat and they went, well, what job can we give him? Yeah. yeah. Jauntily tilted so his luscious curls are nice. shining. Yeah, because I, I missed the whole corruption, but I just presumed that was another sign of the times where the cops just hated the media at that time. Yeah, it was yeah. just sort of a given; you didn't need to kind of explain it. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Evan says that um, Alf might have just shat on the cops one too many times or something. Oh right, yeah. Mm. yeah. He looks like he's going to relish his misfortunes. So Alf. Can I just say he's called Alf Winters? Yeah, yeah. It, it's like a name. It's like Last of the Summer Wine. <laughs> what a name! It's like Roy Batty in Blade Runner. It's Last of the Summer fucking wine. He doesn't really look like. It's a shame, isn't it? Because they could have given him a mildy name. You know, like they could have given him a, yeah. a you know, a nice name that shows his fucker papa. But no. Nope. No. Alf Winters. Alf Winters. <laughs> Ridiculous. <laughs> so he thinks he's being followed. There's a yeah. yellow car behind him. So he does a few nifty twists and turns around some yeah. of the narrow streets. Yeah. He confronts them at the lights and they just tell him to piss off. Yeah. But then he is being followed by somebody else. Mm. Uh, and there's more skids and stuff. And then he realises that his brakes have been cut. Yeah. Um, yeah. Very much so that his handbrake comes off in his hand as well. Which is <laughs> a hell of a cut to do. Hell of an incision. Um, and then there's a car crash. But it's one of those annoying things where you don't see the crash. It just like zooms in on his face yeah. and it goes black. Yeah. And you think, well, with all the explosions and stunts, you think they could have afforded a car crash as well. Yeah. Especially in the shit-ass like, Ford lasers, they were hatchbacks yeah. that they were driving yeah. around in. You don't actually see too many cars getting totaled the, in this There's thing, a van yeah. that gets totaled later, it goes off yeah. the bridge. And that's about it. The only reason I thought that they, they couldn't do it, and this is my government employee's hat on, it's because it was in the city centre, and it would have cost too much for permits in the centre to close the streets to do a car yeah. crash and all that sort of stuff. So maybe they just couldn't afford it. Yeah, yeah. Possibly. Well, it was just too difficult. Couldn't get a stuntman, maybe. Maybe. The cops basically say, nah, it was shrapnel on the brake line. <laughs> we found these fragments from your blown up house <laughs> in the brake line. And when you say the cops, it's just Evans again. It's just Evans. Yeah. He seems to be the only cop that is interested in talking to him. Of all the cops in all of Auckland. Yeah. This is like the third yeah. time he's, he's gone to talk to him and it's just the yeah. same conversation. Like, I hate you. I hate you too. <laughs> Yeah. Why doesn't he just go to another police officer? Yeah. It's a big city. Yeah. Just well, choose one. The thing is, they could shoot like six different scenes in about an hour and a half. Because so many scenes of just Tim sitting in well, his yeah. office. That's a very good point. Yeah. yeah. Just wear your hat at a slightly different angle to make it look like a different day. And, and you're right. Um, but then Evans, you, I mean, he shows his journalistic skills now because he starts cracking some real woofers. You mm. know, where he's saying, you know, if bullshit was music, he'd yeah. be a bloody brass band. Doesn't really make much sense. Yeah. And he says another one later about food and he'd be constipated or yeah, something. Says, I think he says, if wit was shit, he'd die of constipation. Oh. Okay. Which newspaper does he work for? Uh, yeah. The yeah. Beano or something. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. But yeah, Tim um, does some classic Tim deliveries in this movie. Bloody brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of shits as well. There's sh- Every scene has a shit in it, I reckon. <laughs> You know, for a real topical NZ reference, he mentions Arthur Allen Thomas. Yes, I mean, that, even by then though, that was quite a dated. Uh, I, yep. I guess, I guess yep. it was still like you know, people would have known what we're talking about. But that was like fifteen years later that happened. I think that was in the mid early seventies, the Arthur Allen Thomas case. And no, also just a very niche reference for mm. for obviously we weren't thinking too hard about international distribution with that line. And again, it was just the. One of the famous aspects of the Arthur Allen Thomas case is that he was, evidence was planted okay. against him um, by the police. 
And so again, it's just that sort of rubbing in mm. police corruption thing. Okay. But yeah, okay. oh, it was quite funny hearing another Alan Thomas reference. I've written here, um, Lisa Eilbacher just seems embarrassed. <laughs> yeah. There's yeah. a couple of times where like Tim says something and she just sort of goes, hmm. Like, like, <laughs> like I'm going to sack my agent. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, it's a job. Yeah. <laughs> so we're back at the motel and mm. um, Melissa's bag has been tampered with because she always puts her hairdryer on the other side of the suitcase or something. Yeah. So she knows it's been tampered with, but nothing has been taken. So to be on the safe side, they get out of there. Yeah. They take a ferry to the island. Yeah, to Waikiki Island. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Which um, was quite interesting. So they're picked up by a taxi driver, played by Philip Gordon, who is in another iconic New Zealand film, Came a Hot Friday. He's a, one of the main oh, it's a really yeah. good film. And he mentions that there's a population of 5,200. There's nearly 10,000 people, I think, on Waikiki Island. Oh, is there really? Yeah. Is that because they breed like rabbits? <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of rabbit talk. Yeah, there's a lot of rabbit talk, yeah. Uh, also, is, is it about this point where you start to realise like this production's clearly fleece some money out of the New Zealand Tourism Board or something? Yeah. Because yeah. they go to Waiheke, they make it clear they go to Waiheke, but they don't exactly show it in the, in the nicest possible way. They might they might as well be anywhere. There's no they don't yeah. go to a beach or or anything like that. Just, yeah. So if if Waiheke Island at the time was hoping for some sort of beautiful advertisement for it, they got ripped off. <laughs> They, they did because the taxi driver just rubbishes it as being like as you say rampant with rabbits mm. they're just in a little house in the bush really and don't really get yeah. to see anything so Alf sets up a trip wire in case anyone comes along so he ties a lot of tin cans to a string <laughs> very, very home alone <laughs> very goonies yeah just in um, case the whip bandits turn up. Yeah. <laughs> because Goonies never say die no, either. No, um, yep. And then a very dodgy looking man arrives on the island. Yeah. That's I've, all I can really say. I, I've said that he, he looks like a cross between a poor man's Jesse Ventura and Barry Crump. <laughs> and, yeah, and he's not really inconspicuous, is he? No, he may as well be wearing a t-shirt saying, I'm a baddie. I am. Mm. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> he looks like a two dollar shop version of um the guy from Raising Arizona. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Leonard yeah. Smalls. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> Smalls. Um and, and also like you gotta start questioning his capability as a hitman. I mean, what sort of hitman catches a taxi to his <laughs> to, to go it's like, at least rent a car, you like <laughs> while carrying a massive gun. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I kind of forgot if that was supposed to be kind of deliberately comical or not well I think there's a lot of things in here that try to be deliberately comical yeah. and fail mm, mm. quite miserably yeah um, and yeah it probably is it probably is meant to be a joke he's a man carrying a big gun yeah yeah and he's clearly a hitman but then they're just sort of sat on the porch on their yeah. veranda yeah and, and Alf says to her I'm not paranoid I'm Randy <laughs> <laughs> it's quite a little sleazy bit this because he removes her undies and like a real it's grim, it's yeah. It's a real grubby, yeah. sleazy... And I was like, oh, I wasn't expecting to see like, Lisa Albarka's knickers come off. Like, <laughs> I certainly don't remember right. that at all on the first viewing. Uh, it seems yeah. like something they probably would have cut out of network TV uh, show. Yeah, possibly. <laughs> and while they're being randy together, um, <laughs> the hitman sets off the tripwire. And so after a little bit of creeping about, he nearly shoots Melissa, but Alf manages to shoot him through the heart from about 200 metres away. Yeah. I think Tim looks pretty good running around with that rifle. With his vest? Yeah, yeah. 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 Like, looking at that, I was thinking, he should have been, I know, obviously he's had a career in action. Hmm. And he's now, again, an action star at the age of 61. 
but he was 28 in this film, and he looked really good running around with the rough. He could have been, if he'd broken out a bit younger. Yeah. Mm. So even though they have killed, even though their house has blown up, yeah. they've been followed and their brakes have been cut, yeah. and a hitman has come to kill them and they've managed to kill him, Evan still doesn't believe him. <laughs> <laughs> but he, well, he kind of... He, he does, but he doesn't care. He do, yeah, he does, but he doesn't care. Because he alludes to the fact that Tim's got a shitty old 22 that he hasn't fired for six years. Mm. The sights are not lined up properly. And it would be pretty difficult for him, yeah, to pop this guy yeah. in the heart like that. So he says he's going to have him on a manslaughter charge. So they think, right, forget the police then. Because he wouldn't know the postman was up him if he didn't blow his whistle. <laughs> <laughs> the original title of the film was Jack Nicholson and Jessica Lange. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so again, they're being followed in their car. Yeah. And Melissa tries to shake them off. So there's lots of skidding. Some <laughs> some more of that great music. <laughs> Gotta get out. Woo! <laughs> Gotta get out of here. Woo! <laughs> That's the one. <laughs> and I, I have written here. I fast forwarded this bit because I was bored. Yeah. It okay. went on for. A, <laughs> 20 minutes oh, hang just on. on a little drive around the city that's cheating I've never fast forwarded your shit film come on <laughs> alright this was my second viewing where I made okay, okay. well I'll allow because as, as, as you probably know Jamie being a super fan I, I tend to watch them twice I watch it first all the way through and a second time to make notes yeah. so I have watched this twice in preparation for this episode well I'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> it's Chris a dedi- Chris is dedicated to his art I am you're right this is what the fourth car chase by now, and, yeah. and the movie like, and and all around pretty much the same sort of areas. So yeah. you, I, I, you don't really need to see it again. I think the main thing they're trying to hammer home is that she's a really good driver. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So that's really her only identifiable sort of character trait. Really, is that <laughs> pretty much? Yeah, is that she's a really good driver, and she finds Alf quite spunky. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's almost like an episode of um, Roadrunner or something. Like, there's a Looney Tunes kind of constantly getting into peril and evading it. And... I wouldn't have put it past them to paint like a tunnel on a wall <laughs> <laughs> to get away. Yeah, it kind of feels like to me along the same lines as like a kind of like a platform video game where they just yeah. they go through one chase and then they meet a boss and then they move on to the next level and they meet another boss and yeah. yeah. So we're up to about level three by now. <laughs> yeah. Then they decide to go under an alias of Mr. and Mrs. K.G. Oppenheimer. You would, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He looks like an Oppenheimer. Um, <laughs> but they've flown south. They've lost their luggage in Christchurch. Yeah. And so, so where are they? They go into this really dank hotel. Where, where is that? I think they end up in Greymouth. It's Greymouth. Yeah. yeah. So I've written also here that the pilot is Russell Smith, who was of course Count Homogenized. The milk vampire. <laughs> and, and he was... Russell Smith also played Russell in Play School, which is, which is why... I oh, now that's something. Play School, okay. Yeah, yeah right, okay. This is what I did to basically get through the film. It's <laughs> kind of it's, look, ah, at, look at the yeah, other Kiwi yeah, actors. Yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah. you. I could only do that with Norm from Cheers, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> so they think, well, we're still being followed uh, because there's the issue with the luggage. So they know yeah. they're not safe. So they go to buy a very cheap car from yeah. Fred Dag. Now this, <laughs> I think, is easily the best scene in the in the movie. It's still not a good scene. But... <laughs> oh, that's harsh. I think John Clark, aka Fred Dag, and call back to a previous episode, Wall from 
but reflect. Yes, yes. <laughs> I, 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 I recognise the voice. Yeah. <laughs> I think he's hilarious. <laughs> they clearly haven't got him for long. <laughs> they've got him for like half a day or something. I don't even yeah. think they've got... They've, they clearly don't even have him in the same city because they're never in the same shot. And the guy who is in the same shot when they're on the, on the car yard is clearly not John Clark. <laughs> <laughs> and they've, they've obviously... Because I think by this stage, John Clark had set up shop in Aussie. So I think they'd just sent or oh, hired a unit to shoot him over there. Because if you look at it from behind, it's clearly not him. It might as well even be a mannequin. You can you can you can see it. So if you watch it back, you'll you'll definitely be able to tell. Like the guy doesn't look have like, to. Yeah. doesn't look like him at all. But yeah, you're right. It is it is probably the best part of the movie. But it belongs in another movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a quirky little comet piece. But I just I love his line where he says. Well, actually, she's an ex-rantu. Uh, yeah. I made a mind thrash the ring out of it. <laughs> See if I could find some bunny to fit into it. <laughs> and then Tim goes, That's remarkably frank of you. <laughs> sir, sir. <laughs> uh, the body work's pretty well rooted, as you can see. Yeah. <laughs> like... it, it is funny that he's just talking it down constantly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is funny. And he's talking it's, about the warrant. and uh, sub- Subverting it. Luckily, I've got one in my pocket. It's not for this car, but you can have it. <laughs> yeah. 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 Runs like a haunted shithouse for a bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so, but it, it isn't a very good car because it makes this noise which is clearly somebody in ADR going <coughs> whenever they turn the car off it's clearly a person making a coughing sound yeah yeah <laughs> which I did I chuckled at um, so the next place to go is their friend Jack with the helicopter yeah who is Jeff Murphy yeah played by um, Jeff Murphy yes he, he hides them in a motel sort of at the top of a, a very rainy hill mm. it's nice yeah I liked it there. yeah yeah, yeah. it's cool before that we met his wife who is um, Marge from Shilton Street oh yeah of course Elizabeth McRae yeah. oh yeah, yeah. Tim and Elizabeth would work yeah. together in a few years' time. Mm. Shortland Street, of course. They combined for the most... Oh, no, it wasn't her that said, you're not in Guatemala now, was it? She was just... Oh, that was Nurse Carrie Burton. No, that was, it was, it was. So. Yeah. Yeah, but maybe Marge was <laughs> in, the, in the room. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, Marge was undoubtedly <laughs> at, the, yeah. at the front desk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so they, they finally think they're safe because nobody knows that they're at this motel, but then yeah. a suspicious Mercedes turns up. And of course, starts following Alf. Sorry, sorry, Chris. I've just got to correct your pronunciation there. You said Mercedes. Yeah. Well, according to Alf, it's Mercedes. It's a Mercedes. <laughs> it's a Mercedes. Oh, I've been saying it wrong all this time. Yeah. No, he's quite. He says it several times. It's a Mercedes. It's a Mercedes. Okay. I'll remember that in the future. Yeah. Thank you. That's right. Um, and so yeah, the Mercedes starts following Alf. <laughs> then he sort of he hides his car in a driveway and has this hilarious encounter with like a funny local racist (laughs) (laughs) bloody foreigners because that's something else about this film Mm. is every kind of person who's in a job of sort of a service provider whether they work in a petrol station or they're a taxi driver as soon as their customer's gone away they kind of go oh wankers every (laughs) single time (laughs) yeah yeah and it's meant to be funny yeah but he's still being followed Mm. he thinks he's ditched them but he's still being followed and, and he gets away by sort of nearly having a head-on with the train. It's like the stand-by-me train track thing. <laughs> yeah. um, Another crash that doesn't actually happen. 
Do they destroy the car in that one? I think they do. They, I think you they see do. Oh, they do. Yeah. Oh, you do yeah. see it destroyed. Yeah. It, yeah. it smashes the Mercedes off the bridge, and then yeah. the two guys you see, or, or the dummies jump. or whatever, yeah. they jump, yeah. I think they're guys. Yeah. I actually, they look like actual They look men. like people, yeah. yeah. One of them's a dummy. It, it really looks like a dummy. Because <laughs> you can see the way he's bobbing up. In the... <laughs> <laughs> we often have this discussion about how, why can't anyone invest in a dummy that looks and weighs yeah. as much as a person? Moves like ne- a... Even in expensive things like the Fugitive. I know. Ne- they never do. And yeah. this is not disappointed. And that was apparently the um, Arahura Bridge, which is between Greymouth and um, Hokitika, or Hokie, as the locals, Hokie, locals yep. call it. Yeah, and this is me trying to piece together the geography. I just know they're on the west coast, but mm. couldn't quite work out where. Yeah, so then he gets back to the, yep. the motel on the hill, and then an argument ensues. He gets really arsy when oh, she sort of says, yeah. you're not that good a driver. He and gets, he gets really shitty really quickly. There, I, I've put he starts getting a bit jakey with her. Yeah, yeah, 100%. You really see that, like the expression on his face and the, and the tone of his voice. Mm. There's some real foreshadowing of Jake the Mustard. Yeah. I, yeah. I felt like he was yeah workshopping Jake. Because it's the look on his face as well. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. the one where you know Jake gets the, the red mist. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. Actually kind of scary. I thought I found it quite. I found it really um, intimidating. Yeah, I, I found it really jarring. Un- unsettling. A very unsettling. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Don't you condescend to me? Mm. He was nutting off at her as, uh, but it was like if Jake had, you know, actually finished school and gone to university and, you know, could. <laughs> Third part of the trilogy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Jake becomes a journalist. Yeah. <laughs> so they they kind of go their separate ways. It, it culminates with her shouting, "Up yours." Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's raw stuff. Yeah. It really is. It's, it's yeah. filthy language. She's clambering away with her suitcase. Yeah. And then her suitcase explodes. Yeah, she, she drops it. He trips over it. He kind of pursues her to a beach where he... She's trying to fight him off and he actually is... He's holding her he's down. He's holding her down. Yeah. It's actually at this point that I realise that the character of Alf isn't actually that nice a guy. No. <laughs> no, he's a bit of a prook. Yeah. Um, and her suitcase blows up. Yeah. yeah. This is where they kind of start to realise that maybe it's not Alf that they're trying to kill. Maybe mm. it's Melissa. Yeah. Um, and she's trying to piece together the reasons why. So he goes to get Jack and then while she's drying her hair and listening to this kind of Muzak version of Ghost Riders in the Sky, mm. which kind of then becomes the theme. You hear it quite a lot running through mm, the film. Mm, mm. A helicopter lands and tries to kill her. And, and this is sort of one sort of concept shot which I actually think looks quite cool where she's by the window drying her hair as you say and then in the background through the window you see the the helicopter yeah. descending and then sort of taking off again. It's sort of one actually quite cool shot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, then there's a lot of gunfire. Yeah. I have to say, I checked my watch at this point. Yeah. <laughs> there, was, there was still an hour to go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it can't be right. I'm sorry it's not, about this. It's not fucking heat because of a four hours. It's not. <laughs> and the assassins are quite funny though because they're these black clad helmeted sort of assassins with machine guns, like proper machine guns riddling the house with bullets mm. and straight away melissa like does the old sort of western thing where she like she does the top secret breaking the window yeah breaking the, the window gun, with yeah. the rifle and she shoots one of them straight away <laughs> and they have these real kiwi yeah <laughs> squeaky voices ah <laughs> oh, shit oh. Yeah. <laughs> she shot me again another couple of just incredibly incompetent hitmen yeah um, so then Jack and Alf turn up and the baddies start getting away and Jack blows up the helicopter with his rifle. Yeah. I thought it was very <laughs> impressive. Yeah. And, and I was thinking, I made a note here that we'll need to let the exploding helicopter Twitter account know. 
I'll have to say I've already done so. Have you? Yeah, they've they featured it. Really? They have featured it as one of their films already. They know about this film. I'm amazed. I know. That's our second Kiwi exploding helicopter film. Because where are they based? Uh, they're in England somewhere. Oh, okay. I know. Oh, it's deflated me. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought there's a quite a funny line from Jack here where he says, Have you offended the Mafia? CIA? Inland Revenue? <laughs> I'm just at this point. I'm just like holding on to whatever I can. And yeah, <laughs> yeah, a smile. yeah. I can, I can see the straws you're clutching from here. Uh, so they escape again. I mean, Jack has not only has he got a helicopter, he's also got a plane. Yeah. So he flies them to the mountains, the Southern Alps, I take it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then the plane apparent. starts playing up to bit Temple of Doom. So the plane starts kind of gliding and plummeting. Yeah. With, with no real control over it. Yeah. The engine cuts out. They've got about ten minutes of gliding time. Yeah. And it crash lands. They escape just before the plane explodes. And yep. that's when they sort of make a joke about, oh, that was a real 007 moment, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, Alf says, uh, 007 would be proud of us. There we are. Yeah, and then that's when Melissa says, the Germans were talking about 007. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And then she explains it all to them in, in very lengthy detail. Yeah. About everything they said about 007, down she goes. Yeah. And then having a big laugh about it. Yeah. Isn't it funny that they think that James Bond's a woman? <laughs> a woman oh, a woman yeah and I've written here Melissa kisses Jack on the lips right after he's taken a drag I of, thought that of his rolly it was unnecessary <laughs> that. also Jack's remarkably calm considering he's just lost his way oh, yeah. getting, getting home and he's stuck on the other side of the southern Alps yep his plane's gone down there's been explosions and attempts on people's life. He's actually paying for their motel stay with his credit card. <laughs> yeah. He's just like chill as. He is remarkably yeah. resourceful. Those West Coasties, eh? He will be smoking some really chronic shit. Yeah. That is just keeping him super chill. That's my theory. Yes. But then when they're watching telly, Melissa recognises one of the Germans on TV. Yeah. Turns out he's not German. Yeah. He's a South African prook. <laughs> yeah. Diplomatic immunity. Oh, there it is. There it is. <laughs> Did you mention this movie in your um, Hundred Years War, Jamie? <laughs> no, this didn't quite make it because... There's no rugby. <laughs> there is. It does get mentioned in this, like very briefly. But um, no, no, I didn't, didn't think to um, put this in. But <laughs> Maybe in a reissue. This is a real anachronism because I, th I think that obviously at the time, as soon as you put a South African in a movie, it's, oh, well, they're clearly the bad guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, nowadays, I think anyone under the age of like 35 people would just be like, oh, I don't really understand what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> but Elf does kind of do a reasonable job of muttering under his breath like why South Africans are bad or why South Africans yeah. anyway. So yeah, I mean if you pay attention then you can get it. Is this the year after or year before Lethal Weapon 2? I can't remember who was it. Lethal Weapon 2 was 89. I was 89. Okay. Yeah. Okay. They stole from this movie. They did. Yeah. <laughs> I bet they did. <laughs> so again Alf's trying to get Evans to help him because there's no other policeman in the world. And he says well let's meet up. Um, I'll leave you a note at Greymouth Station. Yeah. And that'll tell you where to meet up. So Evans agrees. And then the next morning, we get yet another painfully protracted discussion mm. about electricity. Yeah. That's sort of how they realise that there's like a, there's a bug, there's a They're, transmitter yeah. in her hairdryer. Yeah. And so they do the logical thing. They put it on a bus to Queenstown. 
Why did they even put a bug in or a, a listening device in here, Jeremy? Well, that's how they know where they are. That's how they're being followed. Remember, they broke into either the first or the second motel uh, and yeah. they messed okay. with her luggage. So they've low jacked her head. They, her, they've loaded, her yeah. yeah. They free jacked her hairdryer. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> uh, so yeah. they put it on a bus to Queenstown, so yeah. they'll follow them somewhere else. But instead, they get on a bus to Greymouse, which is hilariously full of <laughs> Japanese tourists. Yeah. Melissa says, maybe you, we all look the same to me. Yeah, they drop a bollock there, don't they? Yeah. Bit of a yeah, racist clanger. <laughs> I did that when I heard it. I went, but then Alf says something like, speak for yourself or something. Yeah, yeah. So Evans, in record time, gets from Auckland to Greymouth, gets to the station, but someone else has picked up the letter. Yeah. And so they just put him in a cell. They lock him up. And then we're, we're at a pub. Yeah. It's in Greymouth. Yeah. I think so. I tell you who'd know whether it was in Greymouth or not. It was our previous guest. Yeah, Tyler. Tyler, who was from Greymouth. Yeah, so yeah. he could have helped us out with yeah. that. Yeah, and then um, Jules Winterfield and Vincent Vegaton. <laughs> <Yeah>. Oh, God. <laughs> it's the little bolo tie that one of them's wearing, you know? The... Oh, I don't know what to say. <laughs> There's a strange singer in there as well, which adds to the weirdness yeah. of it. So, of course, Evans doesn't turn up, but the baddies do. And, again, they just chase them around for a bit. Yeah. Around buildings and just yep. run around the town a little bit. But before this happens, Alf and Melissa are about to have sex on a tree. They are, yeah. Yeah. She says, You won't make noise, will you? And he says, No, but you will. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that is. That's confidence. That is some really <laughs> lovely, <sighs> lovely dialogue. Yeah. So they, they have a sort of a, a bonk while they're waiting. Yeah. Um, which again becomes a running thing. Some kid will be sitting on that bloody tree that afternoon. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Swinging their hands in the bark. And oh, dear me. But they wiped it down. Yeah. yeah. But after all this chasing around, they managed to escape in a van, mm-hmm. which then very, very quickly crashes off a bridge. Quite an impressive stunt. A van yeah, flips, yeah. goes off a bridge. And they're about to be shot by the, these baddies. Yeah. But Evans turns up and saves them. Shoots the baddies through the head. Yeah, yeah. And this is quite funny, actually. Alf says, oh, that was a great shot, you know, 150 yards. And Evan says, I was aiming for his legs. <laughs> I wanted to talk to him. I thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> but also, in that van, Alf reverses into, let's call him Vincent Vega, yeah. of the two, through a wall in a shack, and, and the guy sort of limply sort of, his body crumples. Yes. And there's a box of Steinies <laughs> that sort of falls on his, on his head. There is quite a bit of product placement in yeah. the movie. Yeah. If you look in the credits, like I think um, Lion Nathan is thanked yeah. in there. So, and because that pub is decked out in old Steinlager stuff, so yeah, yeah, I think that's why. <laughs> it is like a Bond film. It is, yeah, all product product, placement. Yeah. yeah, never mind. Sort of Omega Seamaster. We've got Steinlager. Yeah, <laughs> but out the back of that pub though is just a phenomenal amount of crate bottles. I don't know if you yeah. guys saw. Just yeah. like that really shows what New Zealand in the 1980s was like. Just how many, how many crate bottles were getting put away on an average night in the West Coast. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the saving graces, I think, of this film is all the action takes place during the day. So, God, imagine how what a dirge it would be getting through this if it was night action and yeah, it wasn't all yeah. Like yeah, you can see it. You can actually see it. And so for me, that created like a bit of visual interest because it's like, you know, looking at this as a timed capsule of New Zealand in 1988, just seeing some of those locations mm. and scenery. And No, that's a good point. That's a good mm. point. Mm. Thank you. Um, and so they, they hide away. And here's the bit. This is where they think they've worked out what's going on. Mm-hmm. And based on the information that they have, which is people trying to kill them and also Melissa's flashbacks, they conclude 
that the South African man, whose name I didn't write down, Mueller, could be Pete Mueller. Mueller. We're, call, we're calling Mueller. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's trying to blow up Flight 007 mm-hmm. because the Mavericks. Who are the Mavericks? What are the Mavericks? <laughs> They're a rugby team, and it's obviously oh. a, it's a thinly veiled version of the Cavaliers, which of had been oh, a couple okay. a couple yeah. of years before. Okay. Yeah. So, so the Mavericks are flying to South Africa on that flight. So blowing up that plane would somehow jeopardise US sanctions and Pepsi or something. <laughs> I'll be honest, I had no idea what the yeah, plan I, was. Um, I but that. Then they sort of said it would be blamed on some protesters. And for that reason, America wouldn't pass the sanction bill. Not really sure why. Yeah. And the money would stay in South Africa. Yeah, okay. Yeah? Yeah. And that is historically rooted in fact. Like, that was actually what was going on at the time. Oh, yep. okay. Okay, all right, yeah. all right. There we are. That was all I needed. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what I was doing. I missed, I sort of missed all that exposition. It was when they were just sat in the hotel. Yeah, I think, um, I, yeah. I, think I might have just yeah. glazed over. Because then, then yeah. Alf suggests, oh, maybe we should call the authorities. But Evan says that won't work. Because they get bomb threats all the time. Yeah, yeah. Just don't bother them. I, I think my yeah. soul left my body for that scene. Yeah. <laughs> I went astral travelling. Yeah. But Melissa has a better plan. Yeah. Instead of calling the police, or the army, or the government, or the South African consulate, or even the airline, she calls Norm from Cheers. Yeah. Mr. <laughs> Witten. Yeah. But he says he'll look into it. Yeah. And immediately packs his case and his gun, <laughs> which he gives a little kiss. <laughs> I think that was probably the low light of the movie for me, was him kissing his gun. <laughs> What the fuck was that about? <laughs> that was when I knew. I knew it was like Norm was just phoning it in hard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Because yeah. he's like, oh, I better do something. I oh, know. I'll kiss the gun. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of just American, re- reading my yeah. lines off a piece of paper on my desk, oh, I better do you know. Yeah, do something. Yeah. Do something. Yeah. 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 Um, so in the meantime, they're, they're obviously trying to get back up north. So they take the inter-island yeah, yeah. and then we get a little more intercourse while you wait. Mm-hmm. But the police are waiting in Wellington to arrest them and Evans as well. Detective Frank shows up. He's played by Sean Duffy, who's a, he's a well-known New Zealand character actor. And for me, um, I first encountered him in The Adventures of Terry Teo, which was a really Oh, cool. that's it's, right. That's where I recognise him from. Yeah, Terry Teo. Uh, 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 yeah. uh, 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 uh. Ooh. <laughs> it was what a cool. I like that. that yeah, sounds it was good. Cool, it was a cool I'm, sort of kids. I'm a show. sucker for a good kids yeah. TV theme. That yeah. sounds great. So they, they get the manage to get away, and then we get more car chases. Yeah, another very very long one. But this is through the streets of Wellington. Yeah, I like this because it was. I've seen Lambton Key and things yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. 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 So Jervois Key is looking at pretty much the same as it is now when yeah. they go mm. down it. It is quite funny because they get jammed after they go through the old bus terminal which is now a big skate park yeah yes. they get jammed in by the cops and it's like yeah you know where to go now and she spots a little tunnel that goes up and that actually exists and that is a shortcut that i used to take home oh wow so that's for real like that uh where they went and it's funny because the entire chase you can do it in real life because it all everywhere they go is connected up and then so they go up this little tunnel and then down roxborough street uh past yep. my mum's old work yeah and then up my old street past my old house <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. I, I got a kick out of seeing Wellington as well. Yeah. yeah. That was pretty cool. Yeah, there's some, some good recognisable spots there. So I, I, even though it went on forever. Yeah. Um, and there's some real cartoony moments, isn't there? Like the cops oh, the bus drive <laughs> up into a feather down truck. We know it's feather down because the, the words feather down are yes. written. And then a whole lot of feathers are like 
shootout, like mm, cat thing. Yeah. And, and the tunnel thing where they just narrowly avoid a bus yeah. and then you hear all the crash of the police cars. And I thought, well, I wonder how many police officers she killed. Yeah. In that. Because it was a big old <laughs> yeah. crash head on into a bus. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be carnage. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She's a cop killer. At this point, <laughs> a lot of people have died. Yeah. yeah. For no consequences. I mean, Evans just shot a guy. Elf's shot a guy. Those guys in the helicopter. And, like, nothing's... There's been no consequences whatsoever from these no. people getting, getting they murdered. They are leaving a trail of bodies in their way, can't they? Yeah. yeah. This would get quite a lot of attention in New Zealand. This kind of yeah. <laughs> havoc. <laughs> um, Evans is really... He's quite pessimistic about being able to lose the cops because he tells Melissa... They're sticking us like shit to a blanket. Mm. And then there's two men comically holding a big pipe. Yes. And they sort of lower it to, to take out <laughs> yeah. the lights of the, the cop car. You say comically. Well, yeah, that's intention, <laughs> yeah, I believe. Yeah. And one of them says, um, bugger nearly bent our pipe. And the other guy says, bastards. Yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of that. Yeah, 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 yeah. But they managed to get out of the city. And they head to Auckland, which I thought was kind of nice, it was on the back of one of those car trains. Yeah, that was quite cool. Because uh, the inner child in me, whenever I see one of those, I always think, oh, it'd be great to sit in a car yeah. when I was doing that. Yeah. And they've done it. and I, I, So I did enjoy that bit. I thought that was yeah. really nice. That would have been cool, eh? Yeah. But this part just goes on forever yeah. now, this road trip. It's funny because driving from Wellington to Auckland is the bit that takes them ages is so they go up through Matter Matter and that is the most boring and longest part of the drive yeah. <laughs> so I guess it's realistic in that it's sense. realistic in that way <laughs> there's just so many scenes where like Evans is like oh we need gas and then Elf says I've got to get rid of some gas mm. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's like Melissa driving Elf sleeping various combinations yeah, of that yeah. and then of course we get um, out of the blue a policeman played by Jayla Iyer <laughs> who who is another Kiwi icon of the sort of 80s and 90s and this is a Star Wars episode 2 pre-reunion because he played Captain Typho in episode 2 and episode 3 he was one of the Padme Amidala's right. royal bodyguard and of course Tim was Django Fett but he just becomes almost like a supporting character yeah. in the film. Yeah. And it's like, who is he? Yeah. <laughs> who is this guy? He turns up and then he's got a run. <laughs> when he shows up, because he would have he would have been like really young in this. Oh, yeah. He's a dead ringer for Artie Savia right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he, he is. He looks just like him. He, he would have been about 25, I think. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, well, yeah. that's that's about right. But he's introduced in, uh, yeah, I guess the final act of the movie and becomes this sort of plot device. Yeah. Doesn't seem to make any sense. But he looks cool, so that's all right. Yeah. Doggedly pursuing them. And they almost, they try and give him almost like a home life. Because, like, right at the very end, he, like, talks into the, the mic, whatever. He's like, 412, I'm coming home. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> trying to give him, like, this journey. You yeah. know, like a figurative journey, not just a, yeah. I'm coming home. It's like, okay, you've achieved nothing. If they were going to make a spin off series, it'd be about home. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then we get, and this will shock you, we get a car chase. Um, <laughs> but this is a bit bigger because there's guns, there's helicopters, there's that sort of squeaky, shouty policeman mm. who's screaming at everybody all the time. Oh, it's Peter Rowley. Oh, is it? Yeah, the oh. dog from Foot Rock Flats. Oh, I didn't realise. Yeah. Yeah. He's, and there's a real dog line delivery as well when so he's like the armed defenders squad kind of boss. Yeah. And when they all take off, and he sort of realises everyone's taken off. He sort of goes, oh, damn. 
Mm. And it's like a real dog from Foot Rock Flats. Mm. Kind of I did chuckle at that one yeah. when everybody left me behind. He said that, yeah. They managed to get away by doing... It's an impressive stunt. Mm-hmm. It's that driving on two wheels yeah. thing that they used to do in Night Rider all the time. Yep. That's quite good. She does that a couple of times. Yeah. She does to get across this kind of rickety bridge. There's no sort of explanation as to why she's an amazing stunt driver, eh? No. Yeah. No. There's not even like, you know, while my dad was making his superconductors, <laughs> he was he was working on the track or something like that. That would have been all right. I'd yeah. have bought that. Yeah. That would have been fine. Uh, yeah. But no, she's a great driver. So they get across the bridge. Uh, the bridge kind of collapses under the weight of people, even though it didn't under yeah. the weight of a car. And so Evans, he blocks... Comes out of the forklift. Blocks with the forklift so they can, yeah. they can get away. Yeah. And then for some reason she does the two-wheel thing again. I suppose it was good fun. Yeah. yeah. They had the driver for the day. Yeah. And if you can do it, I'd probably do it again, yeah. to be honest. Yeah. Um, they go through a KFC <laughs> um, and crash into the harbour, yeah. as you do. But that harbour is a part of the airport, isn't it? So they're, they're officially at the airport. Mm, yeah, they're at the airport. And they're met by Mr Whitten, met by Norm from Cheers. And he sort of says to Alpha, you go and get security upstairs um, and we'll wait here in the car because I know where the bomb is. And when Alpha's gone, he reveals it was him all along. He holds her at gunpoint. <laughs> yeah. Um, and reveals that I sent all these people to kill you and they failed so I just yeah. thought I'd do it myself and the reason is that her super, her dad's superconductors mm. are actually worth billions and billions mm. and billions of dollars yeah. and if she dies even if it's in a hail of bullets and which is very suspicious he gets the lot <laughs> it's quite the MacGuffin eh yeah <laughs> yeah that's one way of putting it yeah <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Tim has run upstairs. Yes. And he sees this kind of kiosk. Well, it's like a sort of soft drink shop. It's like a soft drink shop at the airport. With this really authentic sounding... Jamie, you'll, you'll remember this. The Fruju ads of yeah, the 80s. Yeah, that's exactly Ooh, what it sounded like. Yep. It sounded just like that. Yeah. It's a song on the soundtrack. It's like 007 going down. Yep. And so Alf hears that and then kind of realises, oh, they're singing 007 going down. Yeah. Maybe they were just talking about a soft drink. Yeah. No, they weren't talking about Flight 007. Yeah. And so that's when he kind of clicks and thinks, well, it was Norm from Cheers all along. Yeah. And, and the security are actually downstairs, not upstairs. That's so he's right. has been sent on a yeah. merry chase. Yeah. Whitten has got her at gunpoint and they're driving away because he wants to kill her. He wants to give her time to get away before he kills her. It's the, <laughs> the typical baddie move. Yeah. Just so he can reveal his plan. But the car crashes and she gets away. And there's a bit of sort of bit of cat and mouse, bit of hide and seek, which is solved when Alf twats him with a bike. No other way of putting it, really. <laughs> which then apparently saves the day, and they're scot free. Yeah. Never mind all these dead bodies right. and ridiculous <laughs> explanations. That man I've just hit with the bike, who's yeah. not going to say, "Yeah, I did it." It's yeah. a fair cop. That's it. They're safe. They, no? they would be arrested. There'd be like five days of interviews, being grilled and interrogated by cops and. It would be a very... Most of which are probably still on Witten's payroll, let's yeah. not forget. You know, yeah. he's been bribing policemen to kill them. Yeah. But now everything's okay because he's hit him with a bike. Yeah. Okay. Mind you, a lot of action movies finish that way, don't yeah. they? Yeah, yeah, fair enough. And then we get the credits. And then, this is the bit I, I'm not sure about. Maybe I'm being stupid. Does the plane still explode? <laughs> it does, doesn't yeah. it? I'm glad I wasn't the only one who's confused by this. Yeah. Because I didn't really understand why that was still part of the story and then why it resolved itself like that. I had no idea. We've learned that the plane blowing up was all in their heads. They'd suspected the wrong thing. They'd come to the wrong conclusion. Yeah. And it was all Witten. But while Evans and the other police are there, they look up and there's a bang, a bright flash of light, and they all go, So so are we supposed to think that actually your initial theory Was was also correct? And hundreds of people have died on a plane. Hundreds of people have died on a plane, yeah. 
And how hilariously yeah. ironic that is. How amusing that they were, that was there all along. It was very cynical. Is that what happened? I presume so. All I know it just ends on that. It's just a bit super, of black humour from Jeff Murphy, mate. Super cheesy freeze frame. And then also just a cheap-ass way of not showing the plane blow up either. Just like the car crash. <laughs> well, that too, yeah. Well, yeah. if they can't afford a car crash. <laughs> well, they could blow up a helicopter. Actually, <laughs> a plane would be that much more expensive. But it would be like if Die Hard 2 ended with the plane crashing. Yeah. And just going, oh, never mind. Yeah. That's our irreverent Kiwi humour. Yeah. <laughs> And that was the film. It wasn't yeah. well, I, I think it's worth mentioning in the credit. Half of the credits are taken up by all the um, product placement thank yous. Yeah. I switched it off by then. I didn't look yeah. at the whole credit. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, because I'm not sure how much this cost. Like, if it was a relatively high budget film for New Zealand at the time, or because it looks cheap. It looks pretty cheap. I mean, I don't know. All that stunt driving and some of those action scenes might have actually cost a bit and taking mm. quite a bit of coordination you know in, in 1988 New Zealand yeah car chase but through the middle of Wellington couldn't have been cheap not when the cops are sticking to you like shit sure on a blanket, blanket yeah. yeah should we <laughs> should we cut to the car chase should we cut to the chase yeah yeah Jamie <laughs> <laughs> Jamie do you think that Never Say Die is still any good absolutely not <laughs> uh, if I could paraphrase someone else i'd say if i was to write a review of it it would be everything from shit to fucking shit (laughs) (laughs) i think it was nothing more than jeff murphy doing a showreel for what would become his his hollywood career and perhaps since we're talking about the budget perhaps a way of him showing that i can stretch a budget pretty well because we made this movie in new zealand and we have no fucking money down here so look at this i found the the story to be completely incomprehensible. Like I, I, I checked out by that last, but they clearly only had Norm from Cheers for the for like a few hours because yeah. it didn't that last bit just didn't make any sense. But yeah, no, this is rubbish. Uh, but that was actually kind of one of the. I, I, I have to apologise to you guys. It's kind of one of the reasons why I chose it because you've done too many good ones lately. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sabotage us. Oh. No, no. What he's done is he's basically salvaged our street cred because we, we've had such a run of good films yeah that's true it's almost like Empire reviewing MCU films you know mm. it's a guarantee four stars good that we've had something bad yeah we need the occasional yeah. turd in the water we've pipe become sellouts we? yeah, yeah and also just from a New Zealand film history point of view it's, it's a kind of a rare case of at least back in those days of a bad New Zealand film you know like everything from back yeah. in those days mm. that's we think about, like, you know, even Jeff Murphy's early stuff like Sleeping Dogs and Utu and Goodbye Paul Pye, they're regarded as good films. You know, this, this is... Oh, they're great. This is, and, yeah, they're uh, great films, you know, and, and this is not, yeah. and with good reason. <laughs> you didn't enjoy it. <laughs> no, I mean, I can't disagree with anything Jamie has said. Uh, and very much, I think, you know, it might be a cynical way of looking at it, but yeah, absolutely, it's a plea to Hollywood to show them what he can achieve. You know, he may have made this on a, the smell of an oily rag and done some quite good action stuff with it, but incoherent plot, thinnest of characters. And Tim, it's a shame because he's a really charismatic actor. He, he's got leading man qualities, but Alpha's just a dick. He's an arsehole, isn't he? Yeah. He's not a very nice guy. He moans a lot, and he's not very nice to Melissa. and So um, that was just a bit of a slog, actually. <laughs> Still love you, Tim. Still yeah, love of course you. we do. Yeah, um, the first bit of my, my notes here were exactly what you said, Jamie. I've written absolutely not. 
about whether it's still any good. I've written exactly the same thing. It's not the worst film that we've done for this. Um, I'd probably put it top three. Or bottom three. Bottom oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd put it in those three. That's what I was um, aiming for. Yeah. That was what, that oh, was. yeah. For, yeah. for me, it's up there with, um, with Yellowbeard. Yeah. And I have to say for Shrop Flies, which I really struggled with. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I well, really I, love, I love it how there's just a good amount of crossover between this and that and, and Flutter of Flames yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah coincidence. Bit of a Venn diagram. Yeah, yeah. The bit in the middle is Chris fucking hates it. It's in the yeah. same cinematic universe. Yeah. <laughs> because there are some films that we've seen on here that are clearly bad films. Yeah. But they were still enjoyable. Like mm. um, Airport 79, No Retreat, No Surrender. Yeah. Terrible films, but such good fun to watch. And this is just bad. I love the Airport 79. Oh, I did too, actually. Yeah, it was great. Um, I mean, the, the plot doesn't make any sense. The, yeah. the way things like the baddies, they're just dressed like panto villains. Yeah. The music is fucking dog shit. <laughs> um, it tries to be funny. And it feels, I tell you, it's, it's like you've got a bunch of children together or some teenagers and said, right, here's some money. Yeah. Go and make an action film. Mm-hmm. It's like the, the way that the plot meanders and goes from set piece to set piece. Yeah. The way that the baddies are dressed. It's like it's been made by kids. Yeah. It reminded me of, um, you know, the zombie film in Super 8. Yeah, yeah. Where, you know, they're all dressed and they've got false moustaches yeah. on and hats to show that they're all... It's like that, but this is crap. They had better production values. They had much better production <laughs> values. Um, it, it just doesn't make yeah. any sense. It feels like Jeff Murphy thought it would be really easy to make an action film mm. just by stringing a few set pieces together and throwing in some jokes. It really shows that even sort of like the tenth-rate action films have got some skill behind yeah, yeah. them and have got yeah. some expertise because this doesn't have that. Yeah. It shows how hard it is to make one of these popcorn movies. Well, that's a, that's the funny thing because he's already made some really entertaining, yeah. good movies that contain a lot of action, and he would go on to yeah, I mean you know Young Guns two and Under Siege two. Anyway, you slice it. They're pretty stock standard kind of action sequels. But, you know, Under Siege 2 made a lot of money. Hmm. I actually quite like both those films. Well, they've got some technique behind yeah. them. Yeah. You know, he's got the skill, absolutely, but it's just, um, it's strangely just went for such a kind of vacuous, empty, soulless kind of action Even film. dumb action films yeah. are clever to a certain extent, and this isn't. And for something that contains so many car chases, so many near-death scrapes, so many gunfights, it does get really boring. Yeah. Yeah, I was bored. Mm. I think he he just spent so much time trying to make the cops look dumb that he made yeah. every, everyone look dumb. Like, like everyone in yeah. this movie is an idiot. Yeah. yeah. That's why it's hard to watch because you, you can't understand their motivation because they're thick. And you think yeah. a, yeah, a, yeah, smart yeah. Pos- a smart person wouldn't be doing what they're doing right now. That, that, that's how I yeah. kind yeah. of summarised yeah. it. Okay. Yeah, so thanks for that, Jamie. Yeah, cheers, mate. Have you on again? <laughs> this, was, this was Jamie's final appearance. I'm still any good. I, I just wanted to go on record that my, my other choice was Wild Things, and I wish I'd said that because I really wanted to. I've never oh. seen either. I've never Have seen you never, it. Seen, no, I've never seen Wild seen it. Things? No, never felt like the right time. <laughs> Too many people in the house. <laughs> so, and, and of course, Jamie, you have achieved your primary aim, which was getting on the podcast before your mate and co-author of Facing the Hucker, yes. Andy Burt. Yes, Andy, if you're listening, <laughs> yep, got you, mate. <laughs> I got it here first. <laughs> uh, but I am looking forward to, um, I understand you're, you're coming up as a guest on this podcast, so I'm looking forward to hearing your one as well. I'm not, not sure how uh, that was uh, that was arranged, but I um, guess they invited you on. Through, through <laughs> well, he kind of invited himself yeah. on. Yeah. Right? He's outside <laughs> now. We weren't going to... 
I don't have the heart to say no. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, Andy, we're looking forward to having you on in a few weeks, mate. Yeah. It'll be great. It's like when you get two siblings and you know the younger one gets something for the other one's birthday. It's that kind of arrangement, is, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> now, Jamie, it's been an absolute pleasure, mate. Is there anything that you'd like to sort of promote or before you go or, or tell our listeners how they can get a hold of you online or? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, massive thanks to you guys for having me on. This has been awesome. Even though the review was fucking rubbish. <laughs> yeah, you can find me on online. I'm, I'm mostly on Twitter. That's where I kind of live online at JamieWall2. Uh, it's mostly me ranting at um, rugby games that I'm watching, uh, referees or the New Zealand Rugby Union. Just, yeah, stream of vitriol towards them if you're interested in that. <laughs> and, yeah, as you mentioned earlier, I got a few books out. So if you're looking for a good... Uh, Birthday, Father's Day, Christmas gift. Um, you can find me and Andy's book, Facing the Hucker, which is uh, about the All Blacks, which we're really proud of. Really awesome coffee table book. It's still available at all good bookstores and online. Yeah, awesome, mate. Well done. Right, before we go, let's do a little bit of housekeeping. Yeah. So if you want to get in touch with us, we're on Twitter at Still Any Good Pod. Instagram, Still Any Good Pod. We're also on Facebook. And if you want to email us, it's Still Any Good at gmail.com. And please remember to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts from. Awesome. Right, we are going to play a little promo from uh, one of our fellow Kiwi podcasts now. We so are. the the Sado podcast, the sitcom <laughs> appreciation podcast. We're going to play a little trailer for them now. Hey, sitcom fans! It's time to check out the hastily scribbled note on the mantelpiece and warm up your vocal cords for one of the most high pitched theme tunes of all time. Because here at the Sitcom Archive Deep Dive Overdrive, we're now deep diving the eighties John Sullivan classic, Dear John. Dear John Yes, fresh from deep diving every episode made of The Good Life and Faulty Towers, we've skipped forward to the 1980s to take a closer look at Jilted John and his gang of fellow divorced misfits at the One to One Club. A sitcom expertly crafted by John Sullivan, the ensemble of quirky characters includes the feisty but frigid Kate, monotonous motorcycle combination rider Ralph, and the infamous man about town Kirk St. Moritz. And we get to attempt a good old poke around the ins and outs of their sex lives with club leader Louise, yeah? There's more to John than his bedsit lifestyle. So if you fancy a trip down memory lane, bagsy your front row seat at the one-to-one club by visiting sado.club or subscribing to the Sado podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, Jamie, thank you so much for joining us. That was really good fun. Yeah, thanks, Jamie. I hope so. I was like, you know, getting to the point where you're like, oh yeah, this movie's shit. And I was like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> what have I done here? But, um, <laughs> uh, I'm glad we got through that one. All right, so, yeah, yeah. It, was great. it was great fun talking about it. Yeah, yeah. That's the that's the beauty of the format is that even if the movie's shit, you can still have a good. Well, you have more of a laugh at a terrible yeah, film, don't you? Exactly. It's great fun. Yeah, I think it is time to go. So um, thank you very much, Jamie, and we will see you all soon. Awesome, guys. See you later. Bye. See you, boys. suit or fly across the screen he doesn't wear his underpants outside his jeans he doesn't change in balloons or climb up walls he's 12 years old and he's four feet tall and here he comes now the new superhero here he comes now terry dio terry dio oh, oh, oh.